Jesus' name, amen. Hey, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We have a few passages to read today, and the first is Psalm uh, chapter 145, verses 8 through 17. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. Hey, one more time, I want to say, Happy Mother's Day. 
And I want to pray for moms. Can we pray for moms before we dive into the Word? Is my mic on? There we go. Can you hear me in the back? Okay. Let's, let's bow our heads one more time. Pray for moms in our congregation. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you one more time for the good gift of mothers. And it's traditional in our culture to pause and take this day to celebrate moms, but every day they are serving us, and we thank you for that. And Lord, I want to pray for the moms that are part of our congregation and all who are in our city. Lord, as they go about the sacred work of serving and encouraging and protecting nurturing vulnerable life in the midst of a world that can be scary at times. I pray that all of the moms in our church and in our community would be strengthened by your grace, that you would show them your deep love for them, that they would be able to draw strength from that love. Lord, I pray that moms uh, in our church would not labor under condemnation, always feeling like they haven't done enough or they're not good enough, but they would know that they're fully loved and accepted by you from that place of security parenting would flow. Pray that uh, you protect moms and bless them physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, Lord. And I want to ask one more time as we give our attention now to your scripture, Lord, would you awaken our hearts to love you more, to know your love, be transformed by it, and become channels of blessing for our community. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Today, I want to start by celebrating with you this glorious truth that our God is a God of good words and good works. Both. Our God is a God of good words. He speaks words of truth and life that have the power to give comfort to our souls and to set us free. And... Our God is a God of good works. He does works of love and justice that bring redemption to our world. So everybody say, good words. Everybody say, good works. Now I want to invite you to look with me at the first scripture that was in your bulletin today. Look at the psalm with me, 145. And let's zoom in for a second on verse 13. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Now, the first part of that verse is celebrating the truth that God is king over the whole universe. Though sometimes there's a lot of pain and brokenness in our world, we know that that won't last forever because we have a good God and he's king. And he's not a distant king. He's a king who's actively involved in the history of the world. And he's a king who is bringing his kingdom to invade earth right now. When we talk about God's kingdom, we're not just talking about a place we want to go when we die. What what do we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're talking about God's power, God's reign breaking into this world right now to heal and to renew and to restore and The text goes on to say, here's how God the King is actively at work healing the world. He is faithful in all his words. Everybody say good words. And he's kind in all his works. Say good works. God's words and works go together. They can't be separated from each other. 
In fact, we're used to thinking about words communicating, words teach, and works or actions do things. But with God, it goes both ways. God's words do things. He created the world through a word. And God's actions teach. They show us his nature and character. The word and the work of God can't be separated from each other. And we see that truth, of course, most especially in Jesus Christ, who is the eternal, creative, active word of God, who became flesh and lived among us, who spoke to us words of truth that give us life. And then through his works of redemption, offered us salvation by dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. So God's words and works go go together. And God's words and works... Reveal his character. The reason God does good words and good works is because God is good. That's his character. That's his nature. Look look at God's goodness being celebrated in verse 8 of Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I wish we had time to really unpack all those words, but we could say briefly, when the Bible speaks about God's grace, it's saying he's generous. He's a gift-giving God. He gives us so much better than we deserve. Listen, we should never go to God and say, give me my rights. That's a horrible idea. God wants to give you so much better than your rights. Right? And He does. He's a generous, gift-giving God. When we talk about God's mercy, we're saying when we're in a world of trouble, God gets down into our mess with us and helps us. He helps those who are in trouble. And He even does it when it's our fault that we're in trouble. When we sin, when we we rebel and make a mess, God gets down into our pain with us in order to lift us up. When we're talking about God being slow to anger, that's glorious news. When the Bible speaks about God's anger, it's talking about God's steadfast commitment to overcome evil in the world. Aren't you glad God's going to overcome evil in the world? I'm glad we have a God who's not indifferent to suffering and child abuse and poverty and racism and all the evils that afflict our world. He's committed to overcoming them, but he's also slow to anger, which is good news for us because evil isn't just out there. It's inside each one of us. There's a war between good and evil going on in each of our souls. And when we've rebelled, when we've acted out selfishly and hurt other people, God did not just snuff us out, did he? He's patient. He's gracious. He gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. I've lost track. I'm on probably my five millionth chance with God, but he just keeps loving me. And that's what the last part says is he's a God of steadfast love. God's love is God's commitment to your good and to my good. And to say it's steadfast means this is not a wishy-washy love that's here today and gone tomorrow. He loves you with an eternal, unbreakable love. Isn't God good? Everybody say, God is good. Because God is good, he speaks good words and he does good works. The psalm also tells us about the extent of that love. God loves everything that exists. In fact, God's love is the cause for the existence of everything that exists. Look at how Psalm 145 keeps emphasizing that. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. Verse 15, skipping down, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. So he's good to all. And part of what that means is that, as we said a second ago, he particularly has compassion for those who are hurting, who are oppressed, who are exploited, who are in a bad place and who need help. We see this emphasized in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling. 
and raises up all who are bowed down. Anybody want to testify that you've been in a bad place and God has helped you out? The gospel is the good news that we got ourselves into a bad place because of our sin. But God himself came among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Went down, 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 bore our sin, went all the way down to the grave, bore our death, and overcame it for us. To talk about God's active love, setting things right in the world, is to talk about God's mission. Now, if you've been here, you know that we're several weeks into a sermon series that Jared and I have been teaching together called God's Mission and Ours. And we've been saying over and over, God has a mission. The whole Bible testifies to the fact that God has a mission. He's actively at work in the world to heal and to restore and to set things right. We've also seen that the missional God rescues and redeems us by his great love. And part of what that means is as he draws us to himself and heals us, he's also inviting us to share in his mission. That's what this Ephesians passage is all about. Drop your eyes down to the next passage in your bulletin. I think it's on the next page of your bulletin, actually. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This sums up so well everything we've been saying about God's mission and ours. The text says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The text reminds us that first we need to know about God's love for us. We need to uh, remember what Jesus has done for us. And we need to remember our identity. I look across this room and I see people who by God's grace are world changers. You're already changing the world. God's using you to do good works. I need everybody to know that. Young people, old people, in-between people, all people, God has a purpose for you. I'm looking at some of the young people who are in this room right now. I'm thinking, world changers. Look at Stella. Stella's going to change the world, isn't she? Look at Isaiah laying down over there. God's going to change the world through you, Isaiah. (laughs) All you in the back. God's going to change the world through you. You are a world changer. That's part of your identity. But part of what we're saying is that's not the center, actually. Do you know what the center of your identity is? It's right here in the verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The core of who you are is a beloved child of God. The most important truth about you and about your identity is that you are loved by God. That's why you exist. And that's why you're here right now. You're here because God loves you. And what the text is also showing us is that the God who is love now says, as my beloved child, you are invited to imitate my character, to imitate my love. And we said a second ago, God is a God of good words. Everybody say good words and good works. So that's going to involve our mouth, but it's also going to involve our hands and our feet and everything we are, right? God is freeing us to join him. Now, I'm emphasizing that right now because the last two weeks, as we've been walking through the Christ Community Church Community Mission, we've really been emphasizing the words part. Two weeks ago, we talked about evangelism. As God's children, we've experienced the freedom and the healing and forgiveness that comes when we trust in Jesus Christ 
And now we have the privilege of proclaiming to the whole world, Jesus loves you. You can be forgiven and healed through him. And as we proclaim that truth and invite people to be reconciled to God, that's called evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. Last week we talked about discipleship, which means not only do we invite people to be forgiven and reconciled to God, but then we invite them to join us on a journey of Growing in relationship with Jesus, growing in Christ's likeness, learning to walk with him and obey his commandments and trust his promises. And as we're helping people do that, we're making disciples. Now that, like evangelism, that actually involves both our words and our actions, because we're trying to share our whole life with people and set an example. But we've been emphasizing words. But today we're moving to the third part of our community mission, which is what we call works of love and justice. Works of love and justice. Just as God speaks good words and does good works, so he invites us to participate in his mission in the world by speaking liberating words of truth as we proclaim Jesus and doing good works of love and justice in our community. So I want to take a few minutes now to briefly talk about what does that look like in practice. Let's talk, first of all, about works of love. Everybody say works of love. Now, the Bible says so much about this topic that we could spend months just trying to study what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself. But to get us started thinking about it today, we put a text uh, in your bulletin, which was just read to us from Luke chapter six. I'm not going to read that whole text again or talk about everything in there. But let me highlight for you a couple of key ideas when Jesus is talking about active love. We share in his active love in the world. First, Jesus invites us to participate In God's active, redeeming, reconciling love that is extended to all people, even to our enemies and to those who are doing evil in the world. That's radical. You see, God had said in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. But God's people had often interpreted that to mean... Love good people who are a part of your ethnic group and part of your religious group. That's what they thought neighbor meant. But Jesus says, no, no, neighbor always meant everybody. And to make sure you get the point, I'm telling you, love your enemies. Love evil people. And love them with a love that pursues their good and invites them to be redeemed and reconciled. Let's look at a few verses in Luke chapter 6. Listen to what Jesus says. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Listen to how active those words are. Do good. Everybody say, do good. Then he uses this word, bless. That just means do things to other people that give them life, that give them joy, that help them to thrive and reach their full God-given potential. Do good. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's radical. Skip down to verse 35. But love your enemies. And do good and lend. Now he's talking about our money. That gets personal. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. You hear Jesus is saying here the same thing that Paul would say later. Be imitators of God. How did you get saved? Because you were God's enemy and God loved you anyway. How did you get here? I'm not saying God was your enemy. God loved you, but... Sin meant we were living like enemies of God. If God gave us what we deserved, we'd be in a world of trouble. But God's reconciling, redeeming love 
reached out to us. And we see that love on display all over the world. Bad people this morning, cruel people, woke up and the sun rose on them. And they breathed air. That was the grace and mercy and love of God. And that God invites them to repent and be reconciled. Here it's saying, when you live that way, you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Now listen, that, that's a powerful love that has the opportunity to turn the world upside down. And I can tell you, some people get nervous about that. And they think, if you really love everybody that way... That's going to make it seem like it's okay for people to be bad. If you love your enemies, that's like validating their evil. And if, if we love those who are evil, they'll just keep being evil. Which misunderstands the mighty power of God's love. God's love has the power to change hearts and change lives. I thought about all the stories we could tell about this. About God's redeeming love at work through loving people throughout history. And we've told stories over the last year about Corey Tim Boom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. and all kinds of people. But today I just want to bring it closer to home. And I was thinking about Clara Looper. Y'all know who Clara Looper is? Few people said yes. A lot don't. Listen, Clara Looper is one of our Oklahoma City spiritual mother heroes. We need to know her story. She's with Christ in heaven now. But for years, she was one of the spiritual leaders God was using in a special way in Oklahoma City. African-American woman, grew up on the northeast side, went to church on the northeast side of Oklahoma City, became one of the first black women to integrate OU, got a master's degree, went and taught. And as she was teaching uh, her students about the civil rights movement in the 1950s um, and about uh, how God's love can change the world, She taught them about Martin Luther King Jr. She taught them about the Montgomery bus boycott right here in Oklahoma City. She became a mentor as part of the NAACP Youth League. And some of these students got so inspired that they thought, we've got to bring change to our city as well because Oklahoma City was segregated. And as they studied the movement, Clara Looper showed them, listen, if we're going to bring change, we need to be rooted in the teachings of Jesus, which means while we challenge evil, we don't hate our enemies. We love our enemies. And those school-aged kids started writing letters to businesses in Oklahoma City saying, we're Christians like you claim to be, and God made us in his image, and God teaches us to love each other across every boundary of ethnicity. And and would you consider changing uh, your rules and dialoguing with us about how to honor human dignity in our city? And those business leaders ignored their letters. So after about a year of praying and trying to engage in dialogue, they they started a sit-in movement here, which was before all the famous sit-in movements that you hear about when you study the civil rights movement. The first place they went to was Katz Drugstore. And as they went there, these boys and girls, school-age kids that went with Clara Looper, were hoping that some of their white friends and people that they knew and played with would join them and support them. But that is not what happened. Sadly... Many people, including church-going people in Oklahoma, came and spit on those kids and cursed them and threatened them. But they were rooted in the truth that they were beloved children of God. So they didn't give up and they were not deterred and they kept pressing. And over time, they started gathering momentum and more people started coming and there started being publicity and 
the national chain of Katz drugstore started getting nervous about them looking bad. And because of the persistence of these kids, they, nationally, the, the order came from headquarters that all of the Katz drugstores were going to be integrated now. Which means all over the country, hundreds of people had their first experience of integrated life in the Deep South at Katz drugstore because of these Oklahoma City kids. And because of Clara Looper. And they kept persisting. Even when people treated them bad and threatened their lives. And before long, not only laws started changing, but people's hearts started changing. One time they walked into a restaurant where they were about to do a sit-in. And the owner met them at the door and said, I've been reading about what you've been doing around Oklahoma City. And I just want to say, you're right. And we have been wrong. And you don't have to do what you're planning to do today because it's my honor to serve you. Come in. And from this day forward, we're desegregated. The power of love can change people's hearts. It's not passive acquiescence in the face of evil. It's active resistance to evil, but resisting it not with hate, but with love. We've seen that in our own church. I was thinking this morning about uh, a saint, an older woman who used to be a part of our church, and now she's in heaven with Jesus. I'm not going to mention her name, but I am going to mention that, like a lot of sweet old ladies who lived in South Oklahoma City for a long time, when I first met her, she said a lot of things about race that did not make Jesus happy. She was kind of, she, she had internalized some racist and prejudicial ideas. But she started coming to Christ Community Church. And as she started coming, I remember the day that Duran put his arm around her. Y'all don't, some of y'all don't know Duran. Only the old, old heads do because he's moved on now. But uh, black man loves Jesus. He put his arm around her and said, you remind me of my mom. And I remember her saying, he, he was saying, my mom's such a sweet lady and you remind me of her. And she, she said, actually, I'm kind of a grumpy old woman, but thank you. But he loves her. And I remember Chauncey always going up and talking to her. I remember one day she was walking in and she tripped and fell on the parking lot. And she had blood running down her face. And one of our greeters that day happened to be an African-American man who ran up to her and picked her up and helped her in and helped her clean off of her face. And I I will not forget how her heart changed over time. I had the privilege of sitting with her uh, a few days before she died. And she was now saying things about race that made Jesus happy. Her heart was changed by love. Jesus invites a second point to make from Luke 6 here. To participate in God's radical and extravagant generosity. That's part of what it means to love people. Let me just highlight to you a few verses in verse 30. This is a radical little phrase here. Give to everyone who begs from you. Wow. See those words? Every time I read that, I start thinking, but Jesus, that's not practical. Same thing the disciples thought. Jesus, that's not practical. I don't have time to talk right now about all the strategies of how do we discern. There's a million needs around us. How do we discern which things to give to and which kind of generosity is really going to help? We want to help in a way that helps and not help in a way that hurts. You understand what I'm saying? In terms of being generous in a way that does not perpetuate unhealthy dynamics in the community. But the, the first thing I want to notice right here is Jesus says, practice radical generosity and don't try to sort out who deserves it because nobody deserves it. But God loves everybody. Just be generous. Just do good. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. It's an act of love he's calling us to. Now, the word love kind of sums up everything. It means we so treasure people and we so value people that we pursue their good. And we find joy in pursuing their good, even if it's costly to us. 
Which is why over and over when the Bible wants to describe to us what love is, it says, just look at the cross of Christ. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. First John 3.16. So we pursue good for others. But the Bible also teaches that while love sums everything up, it's important to use some of these other words to help us think about what love means. Words like mercy and faithfulness and reconciliation. One word that I think is important for us to think about in relation to love is the word justice. Everybody say justice. Now, we could spend weeks and months talking about what justice means, but I only got a few minutes here, so let me just drop a couple key ideas. First, let's look at the texts that are in your bulletin. Luke 11:42. Jesus here is strongly channeling the prophets of Israel, as he often did. Prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah and Micah and Jeremiah and Amos were constantly saying to Israel, God loves you. He wants to forgive you, but you need to turn from your idolatry and you need to understand if you go to church and sing to God and read your Bible and do all that stuff, but you don't practice justice in your life. God is not pleased with your fake worship. The prophets are saying that all the time. And here, listen to what Jesus says in Luke eleven forty two. But woe to you Pharisees. These are religious leaders who had the whole Bible memorized and were zealous to make disciples. He says, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Let me just read you a couple verses from those prophets I was mentioning a second ago. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Let me pause right there. We need to hear both sides of that. Before I finish the verse, cease to do evil. That's important. Everybody say, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. I think one of the mistakes we as Christians are prone to making is putting all of our emphasis on cease to do evil. I'm going to try not to sin. And I think it would be better if we put at least half of our emphasis on learn to do good. Okay? We do need to try not to sin, y'all. We need to turn away from the sinful patterns in our lives. But God is calling us to a life which is much more exciting than avoiding sin, okay? God is calling us to a a life which is transformed by His redeeming love so that we become His channels of hope and healing in the world. That's what the Christian life is about. He says, cease to do evil, learn to do good. And what does He mean by that? Isaiah doesn't leave us guessing. He explains it. Seek justice. Everybody say, seek justice. And in case you were wondering what that means, correct oppression. He goes on to explain. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. This word oppression refers to the abuse of power. Okay, power is not bad. God is all powerful and all good. And God made human beings with power. And power is not equally distributed. Since it's Mother's Day, let's just say, isn't it a good thing that mothers have more power than their two-year-old children? If that power was equally balanced, there would be a lot of trouble, right? Thank God that mothers have more power than their toddlers. Uh, But mothers can use that power to bless, which is what God calls them to do. Or if, if we don't, neglect and child abuse cause great pain, don't they? So oppression is the Bible's word for the misuse of power that harms people instead of blessing people. When Isaiah says correct oppression... Here's what he means. When you see people who are hurting because of the misuse of power, help them. Get busy trying to set it right. 
And then he names widows and the fatherless. As we read throughout the Old Testament, over and over, we see certain categories of vulnerable people highlighted by the scripture. Widows, the fatherless, the poor, immigrants, ethnic minorities, the blind, uh, anybody who has physical disability. These people are equally valuable to God like all the rest of us, but their situation makes them vulnerable. And God says, therefore, put a special emphasis on loving them and taking care of them. Now, to talk about justice is tricky because maybe you've noticed all the time throughout your life and throughout our culture and in the world, there's people arguing about stuff. And when they argue about stuff, everybody's arguing based on their agenda, but everybody says justice is on their side. Have you noticed that? So justice is a word that's easy to abuse, and there's a lot of concepts of justice floating around in our culture that are unbiblical and unhelpful. Now, I don't have time to go into great detail about this, but let me just drop with you a few key ideas about this. And if you want to know 90 pages of what I think about it, just go find my dissertation online, okay? Chapter 3. And here's just a few ideas, though. Biblical justice means setting things right. In a world that has been broken by sin. That's the basic idea. Set things right. Everybody say, set things right. It means honoring God specifically by honoring the God-given dignity of every human being created in his image. Part of what it means that human beings are created in the image of God is that oppressing people isn't just bad, it's blasphemy. As Desmond Tutu put it. Which also means treating people in a way that honors their dignity isn't just good. When done properly, it's an act of sacred worship. Part of what that means is trying to build the kind of community in which everybody can thrive. Okay? So if, if we got a community where certain groups of people, certain zip codes, certain whatever... Uh, People from a certain economic status or whatever the factor is that's hindering them from being able to thrive. We love people in a way that moves us into the work of justice, which is to say, let's try and build the kind of community where everybody could thrive. That's what justice is about in Scripture. We start to see here that love and justice are partners, not enemies. Biblically, when we're thinking biblically. The logic is really quite simple. We can make it, make it plain, make it simple first. If you are suffering, do you want people to help you? Yeah. And if you're suffering and it's your fault and you want people to help you, that's what you want is mercy right then, right? That's mercy. What if, what if you're suffering because of oppression? A boss is abusing their power and treating you bad. Or um, you're in a situation in which the legal system is making it impossible for you to thrive. Or you're in a situation in which the educational inequity in your city means that you're not getting anything like the opportunities that other people born in a different zip code are getting. If you're in that situation and you're trying to better your circumstances, but there's other people who you know who have more power to help you, what do you want them to do? You want them to help you, right? Which means you're wanting people to love you enough to do justice for you and with you. Let's put that in biblical terms. Now, do to others what you want them to do to you. It's that simple. See, justice is the name for what love does when the beloved is oppressed. 
Justice is the name for what love does when the beloved is oppressed. So as we think about what does it mean to love our neighbors, listen, there's all kinds of people suffering around us for all kinds of reasons. Some of them are oppressed. Some of us are suffering not because we're oppressed, just because we made stupid decisions. Uh, guess what? Jesus said, love those people too. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God loved you even when you were suffering because of your own stupid decisions? Some of us are suffering because of calamity. I didn't do anything wrong. Nobody oppressed me. This is just a broken world and stuff happened. There's all kinds of reasons. But one of the things we need to think about as Christians, as we love our neighbors actively, wherever we see oppression, wherever we see injustice, that means working against that in a way that helps all God's children have an opportunity to thrive. So everybody say, works of love, works of justice. Now for our last few minutes together, I want to talk about putting this into practice. How do you put this into practice? We've got to learn to do good. We've got to practice. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Start with your everyday relationships. Maybe that's less exciting than what you were hoping for. Some of the young people in the room were hoping I was going to call everybody to a protest this evening, right? But listen, there's a long history in the world of people fighting for justice, fighting for philanthropy, while they mistreat the people that live in their house. That's fake justice. That's fake love. That's not what God wants. The mark of true godliness is a consistency of character, right? Now, I'm not trying to hype, heap condemnation on you because all of us have failed in this way, haven't we? All of us have failed to practice love and justice. We all need grace. That's why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We all need it. Not trying to heap condemnation, but if the Holy Spirit brings conviction, that's an invitation to growing in maturity. So, first question is, how well are we loving our roommates? That might be your spouse and children. Or it might be your peers. I don't know. How well are you loving? How well are you honoring your father and mother? How well are you treating your next door neighbors? How well are you treating your co-workers? You just start with your everyday relationships. This, to, here's how we put it positively. I've been talking about we don't want to do the hypocritical thing of let's go serve our community while neglecting our core relationships. Let's just put it positively. If every Christian in the world... Just said, every day as I wake up, I'm going to encounter all kinds of people and I want to bless all of them. That would change the world. Think about the fact that one third of human beings on this planet claims to be a Christian. One third of human beings. If all of those, one in three, woke up every day and say, God, you have loved me so much. Everybody I encounter today, just in my everyday, day to day life. I want to try to bless them. Show me how I can speak an encouraging word or be generous with my money or help somebody with a problem or stick up for somebody who's being mistreated. That would change the world. So just start there before you do anything else. But second of all, though, we could think intentionally throughout our study of the mission of God and the mission of the church. We've said we could start with organic, personal relationships and interactions, but we can also think about strategic, intentional corporate action. And this applies here as well. Think about how we can work together to make a meaningful difference over time in our community. Did y'all hear me say work together? And did y'all hear me say over time? A meaningful difference cannot be made as a lower ranger. Listen, y'all need to go to community group. You need a mentor. You need somebody to disciple you. This is the long term work. We need to be spiritually healthy over the long haul if we're going to do this, and we need to do it together. 
if we're going to do it over the long haul. And then we can start dreaming. Our little baby church, as part of God's big global family, can start dreaming in a way that brings real change. What are some of the things that affect people in our neighborhood, y'all? How about education inequity? How about when busing started happening in the 70s, there was race riots in every school on the south side. And so then people moved out of the south side. And people started all sorts of alternative schools in order to maintain segregation so that now, 40 years later, 50 years later, our schools are still segregated, but they're more unequal in terms of economic funding and academic outcome. How about the fact that all the time in this neighborhood, I talk to parents and grandparents who are saying to me, please, you've got to help us with our kids in schools because our kids are behind. And we can see the data of kids struggling in third grade and fifth grade and how it leads to all sorts of negative long-term outcomes in terms of poverty and incarceration and all these other things. Is that a big deal? Now, I, I'm not all-powerful. I can't snap my fingers and fix that. But over time, if we work together, can we make a difference? Yes, we can. We can do it by supporting teachers. We can do it by being reading buddies in the school so that those third graders get the help that they need to be on grade level. Okay? We can do it by supporting efforts like St. Paul's or trying to make that Christ-centered education accessible to kids in our community. We can get, do it by partnering with the public schools and the charter schools and saying, hey, let's stop fighting about which one you choose and let's just make all of them good for all God's kids. Education equity. We can do it. What, what about community health? You guys, some of you all know some of the statistics. In Oklahoma City, there are zip codes on the north side that have a life expectancy that's about 17 years longer than most of our zip codes on the southwest and the northeast side. That's, there's a lot of complicated reasons for that. And a lot of it has to do uh, with, some of it has to do with poor personal choices people make, but a lot of it has to do with a history of racism. And also, a lot of it has to do with stuff like food deserts, complicated factors. So if we work together, though, listen, it took how many years, Reed, to get Hilltop Clinic off the ground after you finished medical school? Seven? Something like that? Seven years, and a lot of people being really generous, and Anna did all the things behind the scenes as a volunteer, and everybody persevered, and now you can go Monday through Friday to Hilltop Clinic, and there's uninsured and underinsured kids being taken care of. And starting young, so it can make a difference over the course of a whole lifetime. And the plan is to expand. Let's do mental health care. Let's do, uh, I'm so excited. Everybody needs to be praying with and supporting and helping Julie and Francisco and Sheila as they're thinking about recovery ministry. And what does that look like long time in our community? Because who knows addiction is hard to deal with. And we've got to help people in our neighborhood. Let's think about community health. We could think about uh, all sorts of issues. I mean, a lot of us in this room have been involved in conversations about immigration reform, and we need to keep being involved in that conversation. A lot of us have been involved in conversations about mass incarceration, and we need to keep being involved. We haven't been involved enough on that one, by the way. A couple of weeks ago, my friend Waylon Cubitt called me, and, and I went to this Justice Circle event. Basically, I'll go anywhere that Waylon Cubitt asked me to go. But he asked me to go lead a prayer at this Justice Circle event, which was... A worship service right outside the jail. And if you watch the news, you know we've been having some problems at our jail, haven't we? And those problems, there's all sorts of complicated stuff going on with those problems. And basically it's one where everybody knows we're talking about structural racism. Everybody knows that. In fact, some of y'all know and others may not, that a few years ago the federal government almost took over Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma State's whole criminal justice system and whole incarceration system. Because they found so many human rights violations. And we only got out of that by bargaining with them to uh, bring in a 
a world leader outside source to tell us what is our problem why we have the highest incarceration rate of women in the world. What is our problem why we have one of the highest incarceration rates of African Americans in the world? And they told us a bunch of our problems and now Christian conservative Republican leaders like Chris Steele are leading this charge in partnership with people from the other side of the aisle to reform that system. And but as we were standing outside that jail praying, one of the things that was just hitting us, and by the way, there was people in the jail lining up the walls, looking out from their cells, the windows, praying and worshiping with us. And as we were having that experience and I was supposed to lead a prayer, I just said to God, God, we wouldn't be in this mess if your church cared more and spoke up more. Can we do something about it? It's not going to be easy, but if we work together over time, we can make a difference. Now, before I wrap up, let me drop two last thoughts for you. One, some people fear that if we start using the church's limited resources, our limited re- our resources are very limited, aren't they? Anybody already feel exhausted and spread too thin? It's like we got five loaves of two fishes up in here. And if we start using the church's limited resources to do this kind of work, people fear it's going to distract us from our central mission of evangelism and discipleship. I hear that feedback all the time. And I wish I had time to talk about that in great detail right now, but let me just respond to that briefly with three thoughts. I think that comes very often from a sincere heart because we want people's souls to be right with God. We've got to share the gospel, amen? I think it often comes from a sincere heart, but I do think that critique is an error And for three reasons. One, it's unbiblical. Two, it's unhistorical. And three, it's unpractical. It's unbiblical because the early church in the New Testament, not only did they say individual Christians need to practice love and justice, but they did it with the institutional church. They shared their resources and their money and their time. As a matter of fact, one of the key moments in the book of Acts, key turning points, is when they went from organically everybody sharing money to take care of poor and the widows and their community to creating an institutional structure in Acts chapter 6, where intentionally they got people from the underrepresented minority community to handle their funds to make sure they were equitably distributed to take care of widows. Or we could think about Paul telling all the churches of Macedonia and Asia to spend months planning and preparing ahead of time to gather money to uh, support the impoverished churches of Judea. Or we could go to 1 Timothy and look at Paul's detailed instructions about how you're supposed to take care of widows in your local congregation. They, they saw this as a central aspect of their participation in God's mission. Historically, I wish I had time to go through the centuries and tell you story after story after story of how Christians have always been the leaders of saying where there's poverty and where there's injustice and where there's brokenness in our communities. Let's gather our resources and try to do something about it. Like Basil of Caesarea saying, we don't have much, but we could start a house of hospitality where poor, sick people can get help that normally only rich people could afford. And those houses of hospitality turned out to be a good idea and they started spreading. And over time, we started calling them hospitals. That's, there's a reason why if you go all over the world, you find Baptist Hospital and Methodist Hospital and St. Jude's and St. James. Because Christians have always said, let's take care of sick people, even if they don't have enough money. We can talk about William Carey, often called the father of modern missions, whose evangelism and church planting and disciple making work would have been shut down many times. Except for he had become so valuable that they wanted him there because he was also educating poor kids and helping start agricultural communes and advocating for the better treatment of widows in his community. You hear what I'm saying? Words and works go together. 
historically. Practically, let me just ask you this question. When the church does a good job of loving people in practical ways, does that make the community more or less open to the witness of the gospel? When the church does a bad job of loving people in practical ways, does that make the community more or less open to the gospel? Okay. So we've got to keep words and works together. But I want to end today on this note. This is a long work, and if you're feeling exhausted and overwhelmed right now, let me just remind you, who's the hero of this story? Jesus. Who's the great missionary? That's right. God is the one who's going to do it. All right? What we get to do is join him. This is a long work. So don't put on yourself as an individual the pressure of, i got to set everything right in the world. But instead, what you need to do is let the love of God so fill your heart, God's love for you, that you're thinking, God, my heart is starting to be with your love. And I just want to say, here I am. And we want to say together, here we are, Lord. Here's our five loaves and two fishes. Use us to do more good than we think is possible. Use us to be your hands and feet. If you're going to do that over the long haul, you're going to need community. You're going to need to prioritize your own physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health. Because change happens over the course of decades and generations. As we go to the Lord's Supper now, to drive this point home, I just want to read to you again these words from Paul, Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. Why do we speak good words and do good works in our community? As beloved children. As beloved children. Everybody say, God loves me. I'm a child of God. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The more we're rooted and grounded in that reality of the gospel, the more the love and grace and mercy and justice of Christ can grow in us in a way that blesses our community. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you for showing us what perfect mercy looks like, what perfect love looks like, perfect justice, perfect grace. Thank you for not treating us like we deserve, but treating us so much better than we deserve. Thank you for the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That anybody who trusts in you can be forgiven and become a beloved child of God. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would do a work of rooting us and grounding us in that truth. Anybody here who did not come into this place trusting Jesus, I pray that they would leave this place trusting Jesus. And for every Christian who already knows you, but who's got that battle between faith and doubt warring in their souls, I just pray your Holy Spirit would put put fuel on the faith fire right now. And we would know how much you love us. And that we wouldn't, out of any sort of compulsion or any sense that we've got to prove ourselves to you, but just out of gratitude, that we would be people whose hearts are overflowing with love for our community. That we would want to get busy working together to bless people. I pray that you protect us. I know the enemy hates your church. He wants to discourage. So I pray that you would encourage. He wants to divide. So I pray that you would unite us. Even right now that your Holy Spirit would be overcoming every division and every critical spirit and every bitterness. Uniting us with love and patience. I know the enemy wants to distract us. So I pray that we would have a single-minded focus on the person of Jesus. I know the enemy wants to deceive us. So I pray that we'd be rooted in the truth of Christ and of your word. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus.